The following podcast contains spoilers and words such as done and bother. Mate, did we watch a thing this week? Yeah, we did. Merry Christmas, everybody. Welcome to We Watched a Thing. That was very cheerful. I'm trying to be cheerful. If you could see me, I swear my belly is wobbling like a bowl full of jelly. Okay, I believe you. Um, <laughs> I mean, you sound like something out of a Dr. Seuss book. Um, it's Christmas, mate. It's Christmas Eve. It sure is. I I watched Die Hard just last night, so it must be Christmas time. <laughs> you know, I, I went and saw Love Actually at our local Dendy Premium Cinema, and... Uh, Fun fact about that movie, it's not that good. <laughs> how can you say that about, about little Martin Freeman? Oh, you know how I feel about Martin Freeman. I adore Martin Freeman. And not just because he looks a little bit like a Cabbage Patch doll and thus like you. <laughs> 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 I love Martin Freeman. But here's the problem. He's not in that film enough. He's, he's barely there. There's too many storylines cooking and not all of them are good is the problem. The lots of storylines is kind of the point. I get that, and this was the first one to do it, and then obviously, you know, we got a whole bunch of really bad imitations with, you know, Valentine's Day and New Year's Eve and what have you. This is certainly the best of them, but I don't know. It's 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 fine. It's fine. Not not what I expect from your cheery Christmas loving self. <laughs> got to be said. I'm sorry. Have I let you down? Look in the mirror and see who you've let down. <laughs> well, here's the thing. People come to our show expecting some level of negativity because you're here. But because we're talking about Home Alone today, I know that neither of us can we're be- We're talking about what? That. Home Alone. Did I say it messed up? You said Home Alone? Home Alone? 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 <laughs> Mate, Home Alone. <laughs> Crikey. <laughs> oh, you sound like our old boss. <laughs> That's right, we are talking about Home Alone, a 1990 American Christmas family comedy film directed by Chris Columbus, and it stars Macaulay Culkin, Joe Pesci, Daniel Stern, John Hurd, and Catherine O'Hara. This is going to be fun, Toph. I, I love our Christmas specials. <laughs> a reminder that our, our, our end of the year competition is still going, so if you want to get in the draw to win a mug or a shirt, um, all you have to do is leave a review for the show on iTunes or Facebook or anywhere that you can leave a review and just send us a screenshot of it, and you'll go in the draw, and you could win some cool stuff. Ain't that right, Toph? Yeah, possibly broken upon delivery. <laughs> it won't. It won't be broken. It won't be broken. And Norma's getting a new. You can't one. promise that. Norma's getting a new one. <laughs> <laughs> I really, um, I really settled in a few days ago. You're like, yeah, I closed the blinds, kind of got really pumped, and um, put on the last episode of Mando. <laughs> then I watched Home Alone. <laughs> well, that's right, because it's best to build up to something so incredible. You're going to start with something, you know fairly trite like the last episode of mando and then go into something incredible like home alone <laughs> obviously <laughs> yes clearly i'm sure you know this but you did you did know that this was one of the highest grossing films of all time for ages right this was in the top 10 well yeah it was the highest grossing film of its year yeah um it's big the, movie it was the highest grossing comedy right up until the hangover part two took it over <laughs> wow which is the saddest part about that is that The Hangover Part 2 is now the highest grossing comedy. <laughs> well, I didn't help because I haven't seen The Hangover Part 2. <laughs> yes, I also have not. All right, shall we get into it? 
Love to. All right. For the listeners who maybe haven't seen Home Alone, there might be a few. Tell us what it's about, Tove. It's a movie. I mean, look, how do you approach the movie? It could be a movie about a kid having a really bad dream, just bringing to life these external fears as he's left alone in the holidays. Alternatively, it's about a kid who gets left alone in the holidays and actual robbers do come and he has to fight them off. As Salma Hayek says in Dogma, ah! (laughs) Are you suggesting that the whole film is a dream? All I'm saying is that when Moira Rose turns up on Christmas Day, (laughs) mere hours after he's fought off these two villains, the house is pristine. Except for Buzz's room. (laughs) Except for Buzz's room, where we saw- That's true. Where we saw him do the damage to that himself. That's true. Buzz's room got messed up up before the robbers, yeah. So you're telling me that he didn't bother to clean up Buzz's room, which he's had some time to do, but the rest of the house, pristine, after absolutely trashing it. That is an excellent, excellent point. (laughs) And we know that Kevin is a kind of troubled- kid he's a demon shot with a gun he body shames buzz's girlfriend (laughs) (laughs) so how much of this really happens i think that's that's up to the viewer to decide i i i actually i quite like that interpretation the other fun interpretation that i've been doing lately is whenever i see Catherine o'hara in anything i imagine that that's actually moira rose and she's she really is such a great actress that she can hide the accent and pretend to be kevin's (laughs) mum. Absolutely. <laughs> it's the only way to approach anything. Catherine O'Hara is dead to me. She's now Moira Rose. <laughs> yeah. I watched something the other day with Jack Nicholson in it. I was like, that's Moira Rose <laughs> with a with a wig. Oh, she's a queen. <laughs> All right. Shall we get shall we get into Home Alone proper though? Yes. All right. The five year age gap between us would mean that you don't remember this film coming out and what a what a thing it was. I mean, you know, you've already spoken about the box office, but this was like, I mean, probably the next thing that was like this kind of event, like maybe it was Jurassic Park was the next thing on this kind of scale. Like Home Alone was huge and Macaulay Culkin was huge. And he was kind of my... Because I'm ba- like when it came out, I-, I was basically Kevin's age, so like I bit down hard on this film as a kid. I fucking loved it. Have Have you rewatched it much since? No, I watched. I think we watched it maybe two years ago um, at this time of year, which would be the first time I'd seen it. Yeah. In a long time. Yeah, mostly it's just Die Hard. <laughs> yeah. Up to Christmas. Yeah. So what, what age did you come to it? So I vividly remember the first time I watched this on VHS. I think I, I probably would have been around Kevin's age, I guess, or around the same age you would have been, I guess, maybe seven, eight. I did rewatch this quite regularly. And I got to say, I, I don't know your thoughts on the movie present day. You haven't revealed that yet. I actually think this movie holds up pretty well. It's still a hell of a lot of fun. When we rewatched it this year, we watched it with my six-year-old for the first time, and she lost her shit. She thought it was the funniest thing she'd ever seen. She's been watching this and the second one on a loop for the last three weeks. Yeah, right. And it was pretty fun to see that, you know, kids of this age still appreciate a movie that's now 30 years old. (laughs) 
this film genuinely left an impact on myself, like, and other kids that I knew my age. Because, like, this, the McAllisters and the McAllister home. No. Like, we watched this film so much and it was such a big deal for us that the McAllisters were, like, our idea of the average North American family. <laughs> yes, we thought I that know. the McAllister home was just how <laughs> you lived yep, I know. in North America, not realizing that the McAllisters live in a fucking mansion. They are fucking super rich. The fact that he can afford to fly his entire family to Paris, it like not just his family, because they seemingly have a million kids, but his yep. brother's family as well. That is unheard of. My parents would not take us to Bungendore for Christmas, yet alone Paris. <laughs> like, like, what do the McAllister- Where is this income stream coming from? I know. You never know what either of them do. I mean, it's no offence, you know, Moira Rose, but you're, you're a mum in the 90s with a million kids. She's probably not working. They don't seem to have a nanny or anything. I, I have no idea what they do that all this money magically appears from. <laughs> I think maybe best not to ask too many questions about the McAllister's income stream. Do you reckon that maybe, maybe Mr. McAllister hired the Wet Bandits, get a little insurance going on? Oh, a bit of Fargo. Like, maybe they're buddies. Maybe maybe he's the third bandit. <laughs> it could be. It could be. But as, as, as much as the, like, the house is just insane and everything, um, early scenes in this film are really you know, blunt and great portrayal of family life. Yes. Like, just utter chaos yeah. around this family of kids that look less alike than Princess William and Harry, but whatever. <laughs> but just, I, I love the early fucking chaos in this house. It's great stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, siblings just yelling at each other. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Uncle, I, mean, I never had an uncle that turned on me and was, called me a little jerk. Um, Frank, fucking hell, Frank. Um, anyway, if one of your siblings yelled at one of your kids like that, like, would you be okay with it? Oh, hell no. Hell no. I would be throwing them out of my house. <laughs> Um, yeah, I I agree. You know, I'm a giant John Hughes fan. I think he writes such great dialogue, and and it's funny. This is kind of the turning point because this is when this is when he stopped making teen movies and started making kids movies. You know, it's not long after this that he went into like Beethoven territory, where even he was so embarrassed by it, he gave himself a fake name. Yes, yeah, he Alan Smithied the shit out of that, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did. Yeah, um, but this is, I think. It strikes such a good blend of being fun for adults and fun for kids at the same time, I think. Can you see yourself as a parent? And I know what the I know what the the snap reaction to this is, but let's try and think about it for two seconds. Okay. If you're flying overseas, are you flying in first class with your kids back in economy? I mean, look, it's every parent's dream, really. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, part of me just respects the move to hell. Yeah. And, like, the kids, I don't know, I don't know if you fly direct from Chicago to Paris. Let's say you can. That's going to be, uh, I don't know, that's an eight-hour flight or something. So, And the kids being away from their parents for eight hours on a plane, they're, they're going to love it. So that's fine. Yeah. The problem is everybody else in economy class who's left with this rabble with no one to t with no Uncle Frank 
to say, shut up, you little jerk. It's, it's, it's not your problem, though. You're in first class, not your circus, not your monkeys, mate. You just get to enjoy the, the champagne and the peanuts. Who cares what's going on back there? <laughs> you're, but you're a parent. You know you don't get to just enjoy the champagne and peanuts. You do if they're in a different part of the plane. <laughs> you can't. You can't do that. You, can't I, you know. You know it. what I think it is. I think it. Do, I certainly wouldn't do that because my kids are six and two. I think what it is is that because they have a million children and the eldest ones are you know basically grown adults. Like how how old do you reckon that girl is? She's got to be seventeen, eighteen. When you have a kid who's that much older, they can babysit the rest. They're in charge. Yeah, teenagers are not to be trusted. This is an absolute dick move <laughs> by the McAllisters. Not on their kids. It's not about the kids. It's about every other poor bastard in economy <laughs> class. Being in cattle class on a, on, a, on an international flight is bad enough without a band of fucking unsupervised children there. Yeah. I also think it was, it was, isn't it strange when they go to get on the plane and the flight attendant is like, take any seat that's free. Did oh planes God. ever work that way? I, haven't they always been assigned seating? Airports in the 90s, it was a different world, wasn't it? Oh, jeez. Like, security, <laughs> we didn't care. Yeah, I know. We did yeah. not care. <laughs> it's it, it, you know, it's honestly yeah, boggling. just get to the gate, they like half look at your boarding pass, yeah, on you go, you're probably meant to be here. <laughs> yeah, I found that, that it, yeah, it, it was mind-boggling that they just let them walk in there, yeah, any seat you want. <laughs> like, nah, mate. Can we talk about Macaulay Culkin? For a sec, mm-hmm. because this really not only was this film a juggernaut, this is the film that made Macaulay Culkin who he is. John Hughes had had worked with him a little bit in Uncle Buck, and so he was the one who said to Chris Columbus, "Let's get Culkin. This kid's great." Um, they still auditioned over two hundred kids because Columbus was like, "Oh no, you know, got to do due diligence." Then they decided on Culkin anyway. He really is pretty great in this film. Like, I know that he's still a child actor. He's st- you know. Let, let's not beat around the bush. He still is not good. <laughs> but there's some kind of cool charm about him. The kid's got to be in a lot of scenes by himself. Yeah. Just carrying the movie. I I think it, especially if you grew up with this movie, it's just normalised that, yeah, Macaulay Culkin carry aged, I don't know, I think he was nine when they shot it. Yeah, yeah. That he just carries this movie and it doesn't seem weird to us, but it is. It it's is weird. weird. And it shouldn't work, yeah. but it does. And his dialogue is extremely pithy. Like, there are some really funny, smartly written lines there that he delivers as if he was on the West Wing or something. <laughs> like, like he, he, you know, the whole breaking the fourth wall and stuff, he pulls it off so well that I do think it's easy to forget how well he does it. You know, fun fact, did you know that he did ballet? I did not know that. He studied at the American School of Ballet with the New York Ballet company i just last night watched his production of the nutcracker in 1993 where he played the nutcracker so kid can dance too (laughs) right got skills got got skills to pay the bills (laughs) tell you what he can't do (laughs) here we go and this has bugged me from the from the time i was little this yeah. has annoyed me for decades. So, like, when, so you, you, there you are, little Topher, about his age. You're watching this, and something's already annoying you. Yep. Okay. And really identified with the guy. Like, at that age, I had very similar hair, a head that hadn't quite grown into its ears yet. Like, there was there was a reason I identified. With yeah, him. yeah. Because um, you were a little jerk. <laughs> well, my siblings might agree with that. Yes. <laughs> um, 
Once he is home alone and we're in that, he's just going through like, this is sick. The scene where he, he does the sled down the stairs out the door. Yeah. He lines up the sled and it's not going out the door. Yeah. The angles of that scene don't add up <laughs> and it has annoyed me for nearly 30 years. Because the camera has this angle, this really tight angle that does get out the front door. But the sled is to the left of the camera. Yeah. And you do that sled down the stairs, he's face planting into the structure of the building. Um, look, this is a movie with basically Looney Tunes villains in it. Maybe we shouldn't be trying to unpack everything about it. But from the time I was, before I knew what the word trigonometry was, that has annoyed me. I was going to say, so you're, you're kidding me. That has annoyed you more than any of the physics of anything else that happens in this movie. Yes. He basically becomes the roadrunner and yep. this is what annoys you. That's what bugs me. <laughs> that's the That's the, you know, that's the grain of sand <laughs> in my gears. That that's fucking outrageous. scene. <laughs> <laughs> now fan edit that scene <laughs> out of the movie. So- once he does start completely pummeling the bad guys, they should they should be dead. By all oh. accounts, they should be dead. <laughs> Several times over. I, I'm pretty sure- I read an article once where a doctor did the math on it, where he was talking about, you know, the actual injuries that would have been sustained by these kind of, you know, incidents. These guys are messed up. Like, there, there is no way that they're getting out of that house alive. <laughs> A healthy dose of the suspension of disbelief is required for the film, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, even before that, you've got to you've got to just buy the fact that the cops, upon hearing that this kid's left at home, basically drive by, come to a brief halt, and like, yeah, nah, I think it's fine. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like, we we I've knocked come again. We knocked and no one was there, so he's either yeah. not answering the door or he's already been murdered. So it's all good. <laughs> Best cop ever. <laughs> I, I, do, I do love that scene where the cop answers the phone and he's just eating that donut and they keep transferring her back and forth. <laughs> do, do you know another thing that, like, when I watched it this time, I had this kind of, you know, broke out into a cold sweat kind of flashback thing is the bit of donut that catches on the on the phone. Yep. For some reason, that has always just... <laughs> Not sat well with me. I don't, I can't really explain why, but as a kid, I was like, I just don't like it. <laughs> I, I love that kind of stuff. Like when something like that, and you know, it would have been so easy for them to say, let's do another take. But you know what? That's how real life works, mate. It's messy. Donut pieces fall. Things don't always land in your mouth. That's what life is, my friend. Oh, clean it up, mate. <laughs> clean it up. No, nah. you know it would have been great if there was another if there was another scene there later, and that little piece of donut was still there. That would have been great. That'd be good if, like, the next day he then like, oh yeah, and has yeah. a nibble. <laughs> yeah. That'd be okay. But just the the disregard for this for his office's cleanliness, oh, no good. Um, so be, being alone, like one one of the great sections of the film is when Kevin's like, oh my god, I'm home alone. This is the best. Um. And he does fun things like doing a sled down the stairs, which would be great if if the trigonometry actually worked out. Um, one thing he really craps the bed with, though, is and I know it's you know it's an iconic scene, the aftershave. Yeah, yeah. You, you don't you don't shave when you're home alone. 
and we're saying this like we're, we're fucking experts in 2020. ISO beard, Kevin. Come on. <laughs> I, You're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, I think that's more just him trying to be an adult. You know, like that, well, that's the- failing fucking but, miserably. But that's the kind of stuff that you dream about. Like, it's funny. Like, yes, you dream about eating ice cream and doing a sled down the stairs. But I think part of the other thing you dream about is like the adulty things you can do. You know, like staying up late. Staying up late isn't something kids do. It's something adults do. And that's what feels kind of magical about it. I mean, not us. We're like, fuck, I'm tired. We're going oh, to bed. Oh, but- jeez. Oh, tell me about it. I was in bed at like eight o'clock last night. I'm like, this is way too late. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I was. I tell you what, this movie is still my fantasy. I would love to be going on a family holiday and just realize I got left behind. <laughs> yeah. What do you want for Christmas, Billy? <laughs> to be alone. Just two days alone. Two days alone. I would, I would eat so many dumplings and I would ride sleds downstairs. It would be great. <laughs> You know, he's first running away from the wet bandits and he hides in the in the nativity scene. Yep. Um, did you notice little baby Jesus? <laughs> Who's already like a meter long and has a full head of <laughs> yes, hair? Yes, yes, I did notice that. What's going on there? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I did notice that. I did think that was pretty strange. <laughs> that is not a newborn. <laughs> It's still better than the newborn in American Sniper, though. I'm going to go out there and say this. Joe Pesci's best performance. Okay, that's quite a stupid thing to say, especially (laughs) because it's not Joe Pesci's best performance from 1990. (laughs) What a year for Pesci. He's in the highest grossing film of the year and wins an Oscar from a film that came out like a couple of months before this one. I know, I know. He he truly was the actor that could span generations. Kids for years would look at him and look for the gold teeth. And adults would, would you know, see him as this gangster. What a legend. And that, I think, is really part of what makes this movie work so well and what elevates it above just being a silly family flick is that I think you can feel that how serious everybody's taking it. Like, Pesci... Pesci's actually doing stuff in this film. And Daniel Stern as well. They're both great as the villains. It's funny you say that because I read that Pesci and Stern were both so convinced that this thing would tank spectacularly that they were doing this big over-the-top stuff because they were like, it doesn't matter. No one's going to see this. Yeah, right. Do you know what the budget for this film was? I know that it switched studio because they were unwilling to spend an extra, like, five million. Yeah, yeah. So, because it was originally with Warner Brothers and they said, you cannot go over 10 mil. 10 mil is all we're spending on this movie. And so, even before he started going over, Hughes went over to Fox and was like, hey, look, if Warner Brothers really stick to this, will you take over it? (laughs) And so, it transferred within like two days. The budget had gone up to 14 mil and Warner Brothers were like, nah, you need to cut that. Like a day later, Fox picked it up. (laughs) There's a show on Netflix about the making of the movie where they talk about this and they're like- the executives come through the set, which is, like, mostly built, and tell everyone, no, uh, this isn't happening, you're fired. Yeah. And, like, Chris Columbus or someone is, is right behind them going, just stay put. And, like, 15 <laughs> minutes later, the Fox guys come through, through and go, you're all hired again. <laughs> I mean, big win for Fox, right? Oh, my God. Got regret, Warner Brothers. I know. When you think about how much money this movie made and and- the budget in the end ended up at only fourteen million. That's impressive. And over the years, with 
box office, VHS rentals. Oh, yeah. <laughs> reruns on television. Yeah, they probably only cost themselves a billion dollars. Yeah. <laughs> in, in that decision. Yeah. But this is such a competently made- f- Like, honestly, 14 million- Like, on okay, back in 1990, that was a fair bit, but that's still- You'd pay that much to John Williams just for the score. Exactly. That's the thing. When you look at the pedigree in this film, did you know that John Candy only had one day- to shoot his scenes. And when I say Pretty a day, day, it took 23 hours to film his scenes. Yep. He only got- Because he agreed to work at scale. He only got 440 bucks. Yep. <laughs> that's crazy. That's that's the most, like, the scariest and most horrifying thing that happens in the film is, um, is Kevin's mum being stuck in a truck with a bunch <laughs> of sweaty dudes playing carols. Oh. Fuck. That. Uh, well, imagine me. I find that scene extra horrifying because that basically was my childhood. <laughs> like, John Candy in this film is basically playing my dad. <laughs> like, <laughs> just playing random folk music, just wandering around in a bus with a bunch of sweaty men. The amount of times I would have to go to folk festivals and you just end up in a van with, like, 15 people over the age of 50, you know, playing accordions and shit. And you're like- this is my worst nightmare. <laughs> Getting back to the uh, the horrors that are inflicted on the wet bandits at the McAllister residence, like you talked about all the things that would like at best leave them with brain damage. Um, despite all that, I-, I wonder if you're with me that the most horrifying moment, the most flinchy moment is without question the nail in the foot. Oh, I hate nails in foot. I I don't do well with it. All I think about is needing a tetanus shot. Because, <laughs> yeah, everything else is this, like, it's this Looney Tunes sort of stuff. And then the nail in the foot's this real, like, oh, shit, that could happen. And I can imagine it because something similar is probably, like, at some point, something spiky has gone into your foot. Yes, yeah. Everything else is, like, being tarred and feathered or, you know, like, none of it is that realistic, really. Then you have this moment that you can identify with and it still gives me fucking shivers to watch it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Actually, the other is the the doorknob. When he, when he goes to grab that doorknob and it's so hot that it literally, like, you know, emblazes uh, yeah, and his hand. His, his Raiders of the Lost Ark moment. <laughs> yeah, th- that's pretty nasty. That, that scares me. <laughs> I still check doorknobs to this day. <laughs> Do you? Yeah, yeah. You walk up and, like, you tap it with the back of your hand yep. first and before you grip yep. it with your palm. Well, because we've all been zapped by doorknobs as well, right? So, we have this inherent fear of the doorknob. Or is this just me? Am I the only I one think, who fears doorknobs? I think this is probably more a Billy thing than a, okay. than a human thing. Yeah, I mean, you've been zapped by a doorknob, right? Well, sure, yeah. It's very annoying. Yeah, it's you don't you don't want that. You have to check it. So, I always do it with, like, my elbow first. <laughs> Don't don't laugh at me, mate. This is a real affliction. Do you know how long it takes me to get through doors? Have you been to the office here? There's like five doors to get up to my desk. It's it's frustrating. Yeah. You just like you try and slip in behind people so that they'll open the door for you. Yep. Yep, that's right. And doors that don't have handles, just use your foot. Just give it a kick. Mm. What if it's no handle but a pull you know, not you know, not a traditional handle, but like the bar that you have to pull. You yeah. can't kick that open. No, no, they're the worst. You grip it with really- your teeth. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I do use my teeth for a lot of things, but I've never used them to open a door. But maybe I'll do that later and I'll send you a little video. <laughs> I like I, I, I touched on it briefly and I, I know I'm stepping on Billy Bingo here, but 
this is the greatest Christmas score for a film ever by the length of the straight. Easily. So, like, I've got, as you said before, I'm a big Christmas-loving softie. I have, a you know, a Christmas playlist on Spotify. There are, like, three parts of the score from this soundtrack that are, that are in that playlist that mix in with Christmas carols and stuff because it is so- Like, every- but you know, there's this there's like that's amazing. But then you've got the like every piece of score in this film is perfection. It's the best. It sits comfortably in the John Williams canon. Yes, yes. It's it's just a fucking great score. And to me, this is probably I I I don't think I'm exaggerating here that more than any Carol on Earth. The music in this film is the thing, the piece of music that's yeah. most likely to make me feel like it's Christmas. Yeah, yeah, make you feel that little nostalgia. Yeah, and some of that's some of that's when I saw it. Obviously, there's that emotional connection to it, but also it just fucking rules. Yeah, you know, you know what we should revisit right now? <laughs> Top five Christmas carols. <laughs> Well, that's do easy because there's like two good ones. Do you remember us doing that for the patrons last year when we were very, very drunk? Oh, not really, no. <laughs> it was like it's like a ten minute episode of us. Talking we did that at our. Carols. Did we do that at, at our Christmas dinner? We did. We did it at our Christmas dinner. You and I snuck off, and we were like, "Let's record this real quick." Do you know? Do you know? Do you know what I thought watching this movie? You a, a couple of weeks ago, we did our Christmas dinner. Yep. And you took a photo of the two of us. Yeah. I'm basically wearing what Kevin is wearing at the start of this film. <laughs> I was like, I was looking at the movie going, where have I seen this before? <laughs> I really was. I really am Kevin. You really are. You are a little jerk. <laughs> <laughs> um, With homicidal tendencies. <laughs> Top five Christmas carols is a moot point because the best is Good King Winsless anyway. So there's no need to have a discussion. That, that one at least is in, in the pile of it doesn't completely suck. <laughs> All right. So, how are you scoring this? It's pointless to try and score it now, I think. All I can say is that eight-year-old me, clearly a 10 out of 10. That's all, that's all I'm going with. Okay. I'm not going to try and give it a grown-up score. All right. Well, let, let's go crack into Home Alone 2 for the patrons then. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can do that at wewatchedathing.com or wewatchedathing at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, all under the handle at wewatchedathing. If you want to help support the show, you can do that at patreon.com, forward slash wewatchedathing. And don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes to enter our competition to win some gear. And we'll catch you next week. Happy Christmas. Go watch a movie.